Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and let's, let's uh, return to the uh, Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke's uh, Good News, this wonderful Gospel account there. It's the Gospel of Certainty, and uh, we're in Luke uh, chapter 5. I've entitled this morning's message, Jesus' Surprising Pick. Introduce it really in two ways. I mean, were you like me where... Uh, uh, you pick captains at the end of the street, and uh, you usually pick the two best, uh, the two best, and then they lined up, and the and the other ones from the good to the scrubs would stand there, and the uh, you know you you flip a coin or you go hand over hand up a bat, and you call tops, and you get the first pick, and uh, then the, and then the other guy'd pick or other girl, and then the second pick, third pick, fourth pick, fifth pick, then finally the the smallest puniest. Worst, I mean the worst, the real Charlie Brown, right? The worst, okay, we'll take you. And if there were girls and guys, unfortunately, some girls could really play. But a lot of times, like, if, if you did, oh, okay, you're, okay, you know, okay. I say that because that really points out where we're headed today. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> Thought I had rhythm there for a minute. We're not talking about uh, softball, baseball. We're not talking about basketball, shooting hoops, or uh, soccer, or something like that. We're, we're talking about something infinitely more important. Infinitely more important. In a few weeks, uh, the NFL is going to uh, spend the weekend, and some of you will watch that, rooting for your teams. A lot of Steeler fans here. I've noticed that. How many of you are Steeler fans? It sounds like an unchristian title. I just, I, you know, sort of wonder about that. The Bills. Now that, you know, that sounds, right? No? Unbelief in the house of the Lord. I just can't believe it, you know. Uh, some of you will watch. You'll be rooting for, you'll be reading Sports Illustrated. You'll be, my Jonathan's like that. He'll be like all nervous, excited. Who are we going to pick? Where are the weaknesses? We got to... We, got, we, we need a whole new team, he'll say. <laughs> we can't pick a whole new team. There are only, what, six rounds, are there? Or eight rounds? Six rounds, maybe? Something like that. And, uh, and so on. We're going to see that in a few weeks. A lot of time and effort will go in to this as coaches and owners will strive, what, to pick the best of the best, to fill the holes, um, or, or the many holes, uh, as the case may be, right? Wow. Well, if you were the Lord Jesus, I say both of those opening illustrations. If you were the Lord, you ever do that? If I were the Lord, I would. You ever do that? Maybe you never had that thought. I think that way sometimes. A, I would not have picked me, right? And I probably wouldn't pick any of you. I mean, I'm sorry about that. But, you know, if I were the Lord, who would you pick? Who would you pick to be a part of your elite group of disciples you know, that you're going to spend three years and you're going to pour into these, these guys, 
And they're going to be about the greatest enterprise ever. We're not talking about winning the World Series or the Super Bowl or something like that, but we're talking about uh, the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ about winning men and women that will spend forever and ever in glory. Now, what kind of, what kind of people would you pick? I just, just wonder about that. You ever, who would you pick? You're standing up there, and you know, and you're down at Sandlot. You're thinking, you're, look, don't you think that's exactly what happened here? In a few weeks, we're going to look through and look each of their names. We've done a whole series on that, Days Gone By. I mean, it's really encouraging. It is. You say, well, I'm not much. Well, guess what? <laughs> you, you make the team. It's just amazing to me. But I'm not much. I'm worse than that. There's hope for you, too. I mean, <laughs> there's room there for all of us. It's just it's so encouraging when you see when God could have picked anyone Anyone. I don't, I don't notice any sort of, you know, redeemed Einsteins there. We'll take Einstein and, and uh, you know, we'll take, uh, you know, the biggest, the strongest. You know, I, I don't see that. The brightest. I don't see that. They really seem half-witted most of the time, don't they? Like, hey, boys, uh, get in the game here. You know, like, <laughs> wake up. Uh, I'm going up there, going to be crucified. No, they're, they're like, mm, can I be, can I sit next to you? You know, they're like, yeah. <laughs> it's probably like wives when their men are watching football games, you know, and they're trying to talk to them. They're just kind of glazed ahead, you know. It's, it feels like that at times when you read the gospel. No kidding. They're, they just don't sort of get it. It's all going to come together after he's crucified and then he's resurrected and, uh, and then Thomas even gets it. Talk about a Johnny come lately. He didn't even show up in the upper room. And then when he heard, he said, no, nah, I don't believe it. You know? That's us. There's room there for all of us, I'm telling you. I, I suppose if I were the Lord and I had to pick the guys for the greatest enterprise ever, and it's not IBM or Ford or government motors or whatever, it isn't any of that. I suppose... You and I would pick men of promise and position, men of godliness and men of great ability, those that are from the best schools, right? Like recruiters going out, you know? That would, that would, that's what I would pick, right? Jesus didn't. He did not. He did not. He, that was half the problem with the rabbis. You, you don't have our imprimata. You didn't graduate from our school. You don't have our you know, seal, good housekeeping, seal of approval. We didn't ordain you. Who are you anyway? Wow. They didn't like him for that reason. But if I were the Lord, I, I probably in the flesh would have been tempted to go to pick the very best of the best of the best. And, uh, uh, and it's almost shocking. That's the blame. It's almost shocking to consider who the men he chose. They're, they are men who are the salt of the earth types. They were rugged. They're probably very foul-speaking men. They probably stunk, you know? They probably didn't shave very often. They were fishermen, right? They're fishermen and zealots. And, and uh, what a collage of people. What a mixture. It's like a church, you know, like it's what a church should be. You know, the gospel's a great leveler. It levels all of it. It doesn't care what your bank account is or if you even have one. In the gospel, we all stand on the same ground. Isn't that great? Sinners welcome. 
And he, the, these men are rugged, wretched in their sinfulness, wretched. You ever see Les Mis? We were in Faith and I saw them in London at the London Theater one time, and the first time I ever saw it, I said, Les Miserables, what's that mean? <laughs> he said, I said to the usher, he said, it's the wretched of the earth. I said, oh, this ought to be good. And it has great redemptive themes through it, if you ever saw it. The wretched, wretched, that's a, that's a good word. I love that. We don't hear that much. You wretched kids. Now, don't say that to your kids when they're bad. But they were common. They were a crew of everyday sinners. They seemed like a very unlikely group to join the Steelers or the Bills. But how about the Lord's team? They seemed like an unlikely group to set the world on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when they met Jesus, here's the thing, their lives were totally changed. That's what God is doing. God's in the change business. Not dollars in change. He's in the changing business. Not like the nursery. They'll not all sleep, but they'll all be changed. God is in the change business. And he reaches down for sinful, wicked people like us. We are all born lost, rebels, in the grace of God. If it has visited you in salvation, he's, he has saved you. He has done it. You weren't smart enough to pick him. Oh, wasn't I smart? You know, I picked, no way. The grace of God, by God's grace alone, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, visited you. And God is changing you. Don't you love that song, the kids' song? Took him six days to make the, the, what? How's it go? Heavens and the earth. But he's still working on me. But, and he is. He's changing. I used to sing that, but people threatened me, so I don't sing that anymore. But it's true. Matthew's conversion teaches us to never, we're going to look at Matthew here and when we read the text, the teacher, never to despise ours or anyone else's salvation. And we should say, as we look over the shoulder what's happening in this narrative today, if God can save someone like Matthew, like Levi, he can save anyone, even a sinner like me. That ought to be our response. God, and here's the point, not only saves sinful men and women, don't miss this, I might quiz you at lunch, right? What's the theme? God not only saves, in Jesus, sinful men and women, but here's the thing that ought to blow your doors off. He loves sinners. I mean, we're pretty unlovely, right? He loves them. We're going to see him here uh, at a great banquet full of wretched, low-lifes, Sinners, and he's having a great time. He loves them, and they seem to enjoy his company. He's not put off. He's not over in the corner, you know, like, they're sinners, I'm holy, never the twain shall meet. No way. The Lord here reaches down and enjoys and, in fact, loves them. And we know from John 3.16, we all know that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is an amazing account. This, this count really is the conversion of Matthew, adding him, picking him uh, to his team of disciples, that it ought to blow our, our minds. There are two events in the short little narrative revealing the Lord's mission of redeeming us as sinners and remaking they say, remaking you and me for him. For we are his workmanship. 
We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, note, he prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know that uh, God has, has prepared to save you before there was time? And not only that, to save you, but he also has orchestrated all the things that he wants you to accomplish for him. And he'll put that in your heart and in your mind and give you the ability and the time, the resource to be able to do that. We are his workmanship. You're not self-made. You didn't stumble into the kingdom. You were brought into the kingdom. You were drawn into the kingdom. You were saved and appointed. And we're going to see that in Matthew here. It's an amazing text. Look at chapter 5, verse 27 to verse 32. Remember now, he's just coming off in Capernaum of healing uh, the, uh, the leper and then the paraly- uh, paralytic, the paralyzed man who was lowered through the ceiling. In verse 27, after this, what I just mentioned, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, it's a command. And Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I say to you in these few verses, there are two events that reveal the Lord's mission, uh, both of redeeming us and to remaking us in his image. The first event is that Jesus calls the lowlife Levi, who we know from the other Gospels, his name is Matthew. He calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. He's looking around and uh, at that point in time and says, you, you. He came out from uh, the house where he had healed the two, the social outcast, the leper, the paralytic that was lowered. He comes out and uh, he is looking for Matthew. Here we see God's love and call extended to one of the greatest of sinners, kind of the dregs of the earth, if you will. Uh, just like us, left to ourselves. That's exactly what we have here. What we ought to see here in Levi, and I'll remind you again, is our own sinfulness. Because before you and I come to Christ, we are like Levi, like this Matthew, in many, many ways. We sit in the toll booth of our sin, trying to get as much as we can for ourselves, not caring too much what we have to do to get it and do to other people to get it. We sit there in our sin until Jesus interrupts. So see yourself in the picture. Don't say, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's history. Oh, that's a nice Bible story. You're in the picture here. And so am I. Isn't it great? Jesus calls the lowlife, the sinful Matthew. Well, what about it? A, Levi was a tax collector. Now think of the IRS. 
Have you ever noticed the IRS never put a sign on their building? I noticed that. Uh, there are a couple around here, too. Greg, isn't that true? They don't. There's one right up here. Should I tell you? It's near the Camp Hill movie. No? Some of you say, don't tell. Don't tell. It's a nice building. There's no signs on the outside. They're looking over your 1040. But think of the IRS with something far worse than that. It's far worse than that. Why is it? Well, they say in the tax code that it's a volunteer. Did you know you voluntarily give your tax money? Isn't that right, Greg? Am I right on that? It's a voluntary system. If you don't, you're going to sing sing, though. I don't know how that works. It's kind of funny on language. All right, but think of this. The Romans occupied Palestine. It was an occupied country. They hated the Roman soldiers and the legions and everything else. The Romans hated the Jews. They really despised them. If that weren't enough, uh, they would uh, sell franchises uh, to, uh, for the collection of money. So they're there. They're occupying. They're overseeing the governance, but they're extracting the wealth right by the throat of the Jews. And they had an ingenious way of doing this. They didn't hire the IRS uh, Rome agents from Rome. Uh, they, uh, they hired the Jews to do that. Uh, and what they did was they put it up for bid. You could bid to be a tax collector at this office, and you had a promise, Herod Antiochus, who was the, the puppet of Rome, that you would collect so much money. And it went to bid. And uh, the three uh, seats of tax collection in that day, Caesarea, right on the, on the Mediterranean, Jericho, and then Capernaum, right where we are, where the major roads intersected. They weren't stupid. It was a highway system. And they were going to collect. And did they collect? And so they put them out to bid. And so uh, you promised if you won the bid, okay, I'll give a million dollars. Let's use it in today's language. I'll turn over a million dollars. But what they did was the commission paid, and it wasn't the gospel great commission, it was whatever they could extract from people. At the force of the Roman soldier who was right near, they would squeeze their fellow countrymen out of more and more money, and they would keep the difference. The margin above was their commission. They ended up wealthy. You talk about filthy lucre, filthy thieves. That's what, the, that's what the tax collectors were. They were considered to be traitors, unpatriotic. They were the sons of Rome. They were spit at and despised. You didn't socialize with them. They hung around with other tax collectors, with other thieves and other trades that were despised, like tanners uh, and prostitutes. That was it. They were the lowlife. That was it. And here's the Lord up there, okay? He's not picking teams. And uh, he directly left, went out in Capernaum, probably up to the highway that went right by there, sees the booth that's up high, and Matthew, and he calls him. And Matthew, probably flowing robes, wealthy as could be, at a large house. We're going to see he accommodates an enormous banquet party. It's a party in honor of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, Matthew, he says, Levi, come follow me. It wasn't an invite, it was a command, and he follows. Wow. Wow. 
Now just jump ahead one time, just give it a little inkling. A couple of the other disciples he'll call, we'll see in a few weeks, they were zealots. Zealots were the patriotic uh, Jews. They, they could stick a knife in the fifth rib and kill any Roman with their little daggers. And the Lord says, I'll take a couple of them too. We'll take those guys that love Rome and extract and those thieves and we'll put them all together and we're going to put some fishermen and some others and that's who I'm going to entrust the gospel to. It's an amazing thing. And it shouts the greatness of God's love for sinful men and women and his ability to change people like us, right? It's amazing to me. If you can't see it, get the fog out of your eyes. It's unbelievable. It just is, wow. Well, tax collectors were hated. They're traitors. Uh, Tax collectors were wealthy, and they squeezed the money out. Now, um, you know, they paid the tax on everything. Uh, One man writes, let me just give you a sense of what did they tax. The taxes imposed by the Roman government were, were they subject to, they were enormous burdens upon the people. Taxes were imposed with the greatest ingenuity upon every conceivable object. There were import taxes, export ta- taxes. There were bridge money, road money, harbor dues, town dues, taxes on axles and wheels and pack animals and pedestrian and carriers and bridges and ships. Payment was necessary before one could be admitted to towns and markets and highway, before you cross the river. At every collecting station, pack animals must be unloaded and every article examined. At every port, ships had to be unloaded and the cargo taxed. The system was particularly distasteful to the proud Jews. And, of course, the tax collectors were hated and despised. You can, you can imagine the extortion. You can imagine the corruption that went on uh, in such a system. Uh, unbelievable. You just can't imagine. I mean, you can. I mean, I mean tax center, it sounds recently like Washington. They're trying to figure out, you know, how, if they could figure out how to br- tax breathing the air, you know, because you're polluting it with, with carbon dioxide, right, Bob? The carbon CO2, carbon, that's, I'm sorry, that's anti-green, and you pay, you know, someone could figure that one out, we'd be paying for that, incredible. Wow, so you get the idea. Matthew's name, incidentally, Matthew, and it's most fun to read Matthew's account of this in his own gospel in chapter 9, you read that later, because the gospel is parallel, and he adds some things uh, Matthew never calls himself Levi. He always calls himself Matthew in his gospel. Matthew means gift of God. He never got over it, that, uh, that he was, in fact, a very, very gift of God by what God had done in his heart and his life. But Matthew adds a couple things we'll talk about later. Well, Levi had set his, his tax booth up on a major highway near Capernaum. Uh, Jesus, and this being Jesus' adopted hometown, I'm sure with the healings and the preachings and all that, he may have heard him. He, uh, he certainly heard of him. And so it wasn't like, brand new, who are you? You're calling me to follow you. No, he was very well aware uh, in that town who Jesus was. And so uh, God opened his heart and he responded and he left all and he followed him. Well, B, Jesus calls Levi from the tax booth to follow him as one of his disciples. It was a command. As I said, follow me. Jesus had an appointment to find and to call him. 
He left that house where the healings were, and he went out. He wasn't just going for a stroll. Everything he did had purpose, and he found Matthew, and he invited him to join him. Now, second, this is the point. This is the way it always is. Jesus always initiates. He always initiates contact with, uh, with sinful men and women. Uh, sometimes we'll say, well, I found the Lord, or I trusted him. And it's true. We do respond. But uh, uh, when you begin to understand the Bible and begin to understand uh, the deeper happenings, what's going on, it's God who is doing the calling. It's the Lord who initiates. It's the Spirit of God who draws. And so in the calling of Matthew, not only in salvation and discipleship as one of the twelve, we see the very picture of what God has done in your life and mine as a follower of Jesus. And we respond. He initiates, always. And we respond. That's the way it is, always. And look, I give you A through F as we see in, uh, in the life of Levi here. First of all, election. Election. The Bible teaches election. It's not the presidential election. It's not what's going to happen here in, in November in our country. And we're glad for the right to vote. And that's a great privilege, a rare experiment. It really is. Election, what's it mean biblically? Well, this is the sovereign choice of God to call some and to pass by others. Now, God could have called everybody. He could have. But he didn't. I don't know why. Don't ask me why over lunch. Why did he call? I don't know why. And I look at you, I wouldn't have called you. I wouldn't have called me. You know, that's the truth of it. It's, it's shrouded with mystery. Why you? And why me? And yet it's the pure teaching of the Word of God. Why did the Lord go out and he's walking past people in the market way, on the path, the sidewalk, to find Matthew? It was God's sovereign choice. God is sovereign. He's king. He's unrestrained. He does whatsoever he wills. He does. It's the teaching of the Scripture. From cover to cover, it's all by grace. It's all for his glory. It's all for his praise. And if he didn't, if he didn't initiate, you know there'd be no one in heaven. Wide and broad is the way that leads to hell. And many, Jesus said, are on that path. It's like a great parade, you know, like the great Thanksgiving Gimbals Parade, right, in Philly. Going down Market Street. That's humanity. We're born lost. And unless God interrupts with salvation, we all end up, not in the Schuylkill, but we all end up in the lake of fire. And we freely say, no way, I won't have him. Nope, no, 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 no. You say, what about free will? There it is. A depraved man or woman lost, loves self, loves sin. I won't have him. No way. No way. What? I'm God. I'm God. I want to be God. I want to do what I want. Until God initiates in our life through the, call, through the work of the Spirit of God. And he calls out a people. You know, some people despise that. Don't ever despise that. There's such great comfort in that. It's still true. Whosoever will may come. That's a, it's a broad invitation 
And then on the other side, chosen before the foundation of the world. Let's look at Ephesians 4 um, on, on, the, uh, on the board. Jen, I think you have Ephesians 4. Look what it, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. For he chose us in him. When? Before the creation of the world. And here's the goal, that we would be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. It goes on, having predestinated us unto the adoption of sonship. And so he picked Matthew. Matthew Matthew did not do it. It's all by grace. And, and look, I have on your sheet John 15, 16. Jesus in the upper room speaking to the 11 now. Judas is left. He's ready to do his deed. And he says to the 11, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that is the description of what God has done in your life if you are saved. And you know Christ the Lord is your Savior. He did it all. He chose you. He paid the price in total. He changed your heart. He regenerated you. And there once was a dead person is now life. And you say, I was once blind, but now I see. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. Look at the second, uh, B, calling. Calling. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And in a word, it pictures this is the, the Bible says it's the effectual calling of God that always results in salvation. Always. Always. It's an efficacious call or an effectual call. Always. It is the Spirit of God wooing, drawing. How does he do it? He does it through the Word of God. You don't do it looking out you know, at the great ocean although you may be overwhelmed by God's message in creation. It's the big book. The heavens declare the glory of God. They shout it, but it's through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. And you come to realize that you're a sinner, lost, and under judgment. And and to be honest with yourself, say, I really am scum. You know, I may not carry out everything I think, but boy, oh boy, I'm glad there's not a projector over my head flashing up everything I'm thinking. It would be X-rated half the time. You'd put me in jail. And that's who we are, right? Every one of us. And then God brings us to the, through the Spirit, through the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he slays us in our heart, and he, he causes us to see ourselves for what we really are. And that's the place for the law. You know, we, we fall down and worship idols. Uh, uh, we think more of ourselves than we ought to. We dishonor our parents. We're thieves. We're, we're, we're uh, uh, adulterers, you know, fornicators in our mind and in our bodies uh, at points. Uh, we, uh, uh, and we covet. You know, we wish we had what others had. I wish I had their looks. I wish I had their wallet. I wish I had their house. I, I'd like to have that car. And, and, you know, we're filled with covetousness. And Paul said, when I, when I came to that, it slew me. Saul of Tarsus, I knew that I was a sinner. Because not only that, in breaking that one, I broke all the other commandments. You see, the gospel really is, uh, is bad news, and it's good news. The bad news is what you and I have done. And we're a mess. We're under judgment. Don't ever ask God to be fair. Oh, Lord, be fair with me. 
they'll carry you out right that minute. Oh, fairness. Oh, you want fairness? That means justice. You get what you deserve out. Like Ananias and Sapphira, they carried them out. Mm-mm, I want grace. I, I want mercy, Lord, mercy. And it's good news because the gospel is what God has done. He has done it all. All to him I always sing. Jesus paid it all. It's not his death on the cross plus something good that you have done. Forget that. It's not Jesus and you that have saved you. Forget it. Forget that. It's all of him. We bow at the cross. One day, uh, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of another century, uh, saw in a museum a painting. And it was a painting of, uh, of a cross, a beautiful thing. And there at the foot of the cross was, uh, was a man who had his arms wrapped around the cross and was shedding t- a tear. And Moody said to the guy that was with him, I like that. He's exactly right, because it typified that the cross made the total payment, and we're totally and utterly dependent on Christ and his finished work. Well, I will say to you, years later, Moody saw, as it was reported, another picture of a cross. And this one had the cross and had the man, but this time the man didn't have both arms around it like this. He had one arm around the cross, and he had another arm. He was reaching for another. And Moody said, I like that one even better. And you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. And so this call, this efficacious call, uh, follow me, Levi, and he does. This call that uh, generates a 100% response. Now, this is, there's a difference between a general call, and note that. There is a general call to all people everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. Within that, as we announce that or broadcast that, the Spirit of God calls effectively this one and that one and that little boy or that girl or that teen, and it results in salvation, results in it 100% of the time. Now, there is, it is called the, the golden chain uh, of salvation in Romans. Do we have that up, Jen? Romans 8, 20. Uh, it's right after 28. It's 29 and 30. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Let's see if we can see this where we find the golden links. Maybe we can't get it. Oh, there it is. Look at this. For those God foreknew, Paul writes, that's foreknew as in foreordained, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Notice 30. And those he predestined, and here's the word call, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So this calling always results in the end of salvation, hence glorification. It's 100% of a call. Isn't that wonderful? You should know. Don't you, you know what the word church means. We get the word church from 
from the English and Scottish, right? Church. It comes from the Scots. It would be Kirk. You know anybody named Kirk? K-I-R-K? Kirk. That's a Scottish word. Uh, the English, the Anglos softened it, and they put a C-H on each end instead of a K, and they called it church. Church. And we know what that means. But in the, in the, in the Greek, whenever you read the 108 times or so it occurs in the New Testament, it's ecclesia. That's a 50-cent word, ecclesia. You know, what, you know what the word church really means? The called out ones. This is the grace community called out ones. If we were to translate it right into the English, instead of going to Kirk and church, called out. Well, who called? Jesus is calling through the Spirit of God, and he's assembling men and women, boys and girls of all sorts of background, all on the level ground of the gospel. Wow, the calling, calling. Third, C is repentance. Repentance, and we see it in the life of of, of Levi or Matthew. It's a definite break with the old life of sin, no matter what the cost. You know, we're all sinners. We are. We all sin, and we all sin a variety of sins, And, and sometimes we're up to our tonsils and almost drowning in our sins, right? But when the Spirit of God reaches a man or woman, boy or girl, and begins to draw them and call them and regenerate them, the fruits of that are faith and repentance. And here we're talking repentance. It's a break with our former lifestyle. It's not like, like uh, add Jesus in too. You know, like some people talk like that, like Coca-Cola, you know, like try Coke. You know, add Coke. Yeah, I'll try that. You know, uh-uh. It's a 100% break. It's a 180-degree turnabout. I once was heading fast to sin, and there's pleasure in sin for a season. But God has so worked in my heart that I did a UB, and I'm going the opposite direction now. And we see that in Matthew, don't we? Here's Matthew in our text. He, he gets up from the tax booth. It was elevated above the highway where he sat, and the text says in verse 28, he left everything. Everything, that's the fruit of regeneration. He left it all. Now, I I will remind you this. When he left his post, uh, there was no going back uh, because someone else would quickly fill in that spot. Not like fishermen, like uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. Uh, You know, you can always, always go back and drop your net in, right? And Peter did that a little bit later, didn't we? Sometime later, some of you know the story there. But once he, he gave that up, he gave it up, and there was no going back. And in that, in a seed form, shows real repentance. How about D, saving faith? Saving faith. This is active and continuous trusting of Jesus for the rest of life. It's a present, uh, uh, it's, it's written in a present form, a continuous action. Uh, 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 where he's resting in the work and he's walking by faith and without stopping. Wow. Saving faith. And E, how about worship? The text goes on in 29 to tell us uh, after he came uh, to Jesus and began to follow him, in verse 29 the text tells us that Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, in a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Later we find they were sinners, the Pharisees say, that were eating with him. Um, 
Uh, that's uh, the fellowship and the honoring of Jesus is in a very seed form, the way of worship. That's how, we, that's how we worship the Lord. We honor Him. We prize Him. We celebrate Him. Uh, and uh, that's a, uh, in a very early form is what Matthew is doing at his home. He's going to have a banquet, going to have a party, going to celebrate. And he's going to invite uh, a lot of folks to this. And really that's what we do when we sing and, and, and we reflect the joy and the rejoicing that's in our heart. He's now filled with joy. It's a mark of true conversion. Isn't joy great? Joy is so great. You can't work it up. I'm going to work on joy today. You can't do that. You can't do it. It's not happiness. Happiness is cheap. Happiness is Frank Sinatra. Everything's going my way. I'm happy for the moment, right? Get ready. Life is going to come, and it does, doesn't it? But joy abides. It's a fruit of the Spirit. God does that in the life of a believer who's walking with him. There's a sense of bliss and joy and, and, and a happiness. I'll never forget uh, uh, being in Israel. Uh, we, we had a joy, Faithy and I, taking a number of study trips over there six or seven times. And you go into these places, you know, and uh, various sites, and you read the text of what took place there. And then we had song sheets, and we'd sing a song, and sometimes they were in the caverns and all that, and it sounded so beautiful, echoing. And I'd have different, and, and there's packs of people, you know, you don't want to, it's like golf, you know, you don't want to be too long or people are going to press you down the fairway, you know, they want to push you on through. But I had so many people through the years say, you must be a choir, you sound so beautiful, and your people are so happy, and they're just so filled with, they didn't say joy, but you, you know what I mean? And I said, well, we're not a choir, but we do have a song in our heart, and we just love the Lord, you know? And it just it radiates, even in a fallen world, even when hard stuff comes. It doesn't mean we paste on a fake smile. Please, don't do that. You know, we can have tears and brokenness, but joy abides. You know, tears may last for a night. Psalm 30, don't you love that? But joy comes in the morning. It's one of the great gifts and byproducts of being a Christian is the joy and the rejoicing. And I trust, and I just imagine, even during our lunchtime here, there's going to be a lot of you having a good time and celebrating and laughter, and I hope you do. And it's the joy of Jesus, what God does in our hearts and life, in our family, in our church family here. Matthew is overjoyed. He wants to have a party. Isn't that great? And finally, F, witness. That's what he's doing. And that ought to be true in our life. We ought to worship the Lord, but witness. Go fishing. Levi wanted all his friends to meet Jesus. My friends need to hear him. They need to meet him. They need, to, they need him. And he invited them all. He went to he went all the other, other cronies, the low life, you know, the dregs of the earth. They're his buddies, right? They, and, and you got to come. And they all came, right? Fellow tax collectors amalgamated. All the IRS section, there they are, you know. And, uh, and the harlots and the other despised. I mean, the women were despised. The, the cripples were despised by the religious people. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, and they're all there. And there's the Lord in the midst of it. And he's having a great time. He wasn't prudy. We used to say, are, are you a prude? I think he enjoyed himself. 
Listen, here's the point. God not only saves sinners, as seen in Matthew, but he loves sinful men and women. He is holy God. He is, we're going to see, the physician. And you've got to spend time with sick people, meaning figuratively sinful people, if you're ever going to be able to minister the medicine of the gospel. You do. You have to love people. Don't dump on them. You know, don't feel like you've got to give them the whole nine yards. Don't do that. People didn't do that to you. You know, just draw them close and love them and enjoy them, and God will use you. I think that that's, that's part of the great application of this. Wow. He loves the sinful man. Well, that's the, that's the call, an unlikely call. I mean, if the captains of the team are picking, Levi was the last guy. I mean, he's the runt down at the end. You know, there's an odd number. Do you really want to play? No, all right. You're, okay. Get on. And the Lord picks him. And therein, there's you and there's me. Wow. Man, there's a second event quickly before we're done. Jesus answers the self-righteous critics who despise this action. Here are the Pharisees now, and uh, they're still cowards. They're not talking to him yet. They will. They're going to say some awful things soon, but they approach his disciples. Probably, I submit to you, they may be trying to discredit the Lord Jesus before the disciples because they go to the disciples and they ask these questions and then Jesus answers them. Look at verse 30 and following. But the Pharisees, notice the word but, you should always underline that. That's a key connector. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained. It's the word they murmured. They grumbled to the disciples, not to Jesus yet. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus is the one who hears it and then answers them directly. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, not, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here we see God in Christ associating with lost men and women so that he might save some. Wow. They would submit that Jesus should have declined the invitation. We all laughed when, when uh, I mean, maybe didn't laugh, but it, it is humorous and nothing bad happened. But at the White House, when that couple, and I think there was another one that snuck in, and they even got their picture taken uh, with, the, with the vice president. We go like, holy cow, how, what? oh, my word. <laughs> They didn't have to decline the invite. They weren't even invited. But somehow, with all the pizzazz, they, they, uh, they, they worked their way in, right? The Pharisees said, well, when Matthew gave you the invite to the great party, you should have declined it. No way. You're the scum of the earth. I mean, we could say the Pharisees are the ultimate party poopers, right? Everybody needs... Uh, Pooper, that's why, you know, sort of like that. We used to sing that when the kids were little. You never did. You look so holy out there. But, that, I mean, they're the ultimate here. They, you should have just ripped that up and, I'm sorry, I'm holy, you're not, never the twain should meet. That was their attitude. That was their attitude. The Pharisees are grumbling, eh? Not to Jesus, to the disciples, they accused Jesus of eating and drinking with the wrong crowd. They had a problem with the guest list. 
we should have approved it first. You see, you, you need to know that a meal in those days was more than today. It's not like driving through McDonald's through the window and getting a Happy Meal, you know? We Americans, it's a shame. We, we don't spend enough time fellowshipping around the table. I mean, they would spend hours. These were big events. Uh, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, even in the Midwest, uh, Middle East today, uh, we were invited uh, some years ago to uh, a, a, an Arab uh, dinner on Friday. That's uh, the Muslim holy day. It was hours. We were hours, and it was killing me. I was sitting, they sit on the floor. They, this enormous Persian rug that would empty all of your bank accounts to buy this thing that was bigger than this room or so, enormous, right? We're sitting around it on the edge, and there's all, all only men around this thing, all speaking Arabic, and uh, honoring the elders, they treated me like I was a king. They did. Uh, that I was uh, Sarah's, my daughter's uh, father, and uh, Greg's father-in-law, and my boys were there, and Faithy's there, and the women and children were in another place eating, and they thought I, I was the, uh, I don't know, the president or something. They treated, and it was a long affair, you just didn't eat and run. It wasn't drive through. give me a Big Mac, I'm on my way. It's no wonder we're dying of indigestion and everything else. Run, 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 run. And in this day, uh, it, was, it, was a, it, was, it was a wonderful activity. And if you were invited in, you were protected for and provided and was seen as almost family-like, a commonality. I mean, it had social... Uh, uh, issues all wrapped up into it, uh, and that we in the West were sort of really poor in this type. We, we don't get to get, what, what's the problem? He had a hamburger with him. What's the issue here? No, it's far, it's far more. To share a table meant to share a life in the ancient world, and even today in the Middle East, it's, it's that, that way. Uh, you see, they, they held, the Pharisees held that certain members of society were not eligible for this kind of fellowship. Certain kind of trades, we've mentioned some, the deformed, the women, they were considered unclean, and therefore they were excluded. They knew theology, but here's the problem. They didn't share God's heart and love for people as we see in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you that that spirit, in large ways and small ways, can be in each one of us. I mean, we can look around at people and, and hope that they don't go to heaven. I can't stand that person. That neighbor over there, he's always waving fingers at me, and it's not nice. You know, uh, go to, you know, uh, oh, I won't say that. I used to say that. You know, and these kind of things. And, or, or get passed over at work, or somebody sticks their finger in your kid's eye, so to speak. Or maybe, you know, mess with me, don't touch my kids. You know, and we can have that same spirit, that lack of love. It's in us. It is. Don't act holy now. It's there. I know it because... It's in me, and I know what it's there, and only God can deal with that critical spirit that the Pharisees had, and they considered they were out of bounds. Well, Jesus responds 
to his critics in three, in three ways. And two of the ways are in the account in, in Luke, and we'll just have to bounce over to Matthew to see the other end, where Matthew writes of the account, as I already mentioned, and adds a second comment that the Lord made. Well, the first one is, he gives, the Lord gives, in answering the critics, an obvious analogy. Listen, the healthy do not need a doctor. Now, what a phrase for Dr. Luke to include that. It's the sick that do. Well, what's he mean by this? Well, it's a powerful indictment, right? Indicted their cold hearts. They should have helped those who needed help. Listen, a physician doesn't spend his time with healthy people. I know there's a big push in our day that we want to be healthy and take your vitamins and pinch an inch and run a mile and, and all that good stuff. And, and that's important to do. And some of you look like you're convicted now that I say that. But it's a good thing to do, that preventative kind of stuff, right? But physicians major in the study and all the years of study and sacrifice so that what? They hang around with sick people. Have you ever noticed that? There were sick people, people that need them. Jesus is using figurative language here and saying, these down and out, these social outcasts, they're, they're sick people. They have spiritual sickness or needs. And Dr. Jesus here, figuratively speaking, is with the patients. In other words, so should you have been. Where, where are you? You're over in your clubhouse. You won't even come near. Wow, what an indictment. It's an indictment, really. It's an indictment to the church. As much as we love to be together, right? Don't we encourage each other? And iron sharpening iron, and isn't it great? And we sing, and we learn, and we grow, and, and our lives get intertwined, and, and we lean on each other and all that. But, but, but we need to scatter then. It's the church unleashed. It's like at the end of worship, we say, go get them, you know, scatter out, you know. There are sick people everywhere, physically sick, but spiritually that need Christ. Don't be a Pharisee. I'm walking on this side of the street. There are sinners over there. Oh, my. That's not the attitude of Jesus here, is it? And then over in, and look in Matthew chapter 9, and, and to see Matthew adds verse 13, there's a second answer that the Lord gives to the Pharisee, and we have it up even on the screen, verse 13, but go and learn, he says to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now he's, he's playing with words here. They considered themselves righteous, and for the sake of that, he says that. He knew they weren't. They were lost. They were not saved. God didn't come to call. He didn't come to call uh, the, the righteous but sinners. He desired mercy. God desires it. And, and they should have known that from Hosea 6, 8, uh, where uh, that song of, of, of yesteryear, and if we've got that, we can show that. Isaiah 6, 8, that's 6, is that 6, 8, 8, 6, it's 8, 6, maybe I got it wrong. You can check that later, that God uh, desires mercy and, and, and not, uh, not otherwise. I must have given you the wrong reference, Jen. You guys pointing at something? 
Anyway, look, God wants heart. That's the point. A heart that shows mercy. That's compassion. That's care for those that are down and out and those in need and not otherwise. Wow. It was a rebuke to these religious leaders of that day that were lost. And finally, number three, Jesus here gives his statement of mission. It wasn't to feed their bellies. They loved lunch. Free hot lunch. All right, fish and bread. Oh, man, heal the leper. Isn't that great? Raise the dead, the sick, even a mother-in-law. Wow, we're following him. He's going to, what a social program. No, that was all to point to this. And he gives his mission statement, number three. Jesus gives his mission, I have come to call sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. And James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud. You know what the proud is? I'm good. I'm good enough. I don't need God. I'll pretend there is no God. God resists the proud. Resist. You ever do tug of war? You ever win? Pretty even? It goes on for a long time? How about God holding on the other end of the rope? You're in deep trouble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He gives to the humble. What's the humble? Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched. I'm the wretched of the earth. My thoughts are vile. My motives are wicked. Even my best thoughts. Oh, Lord, I have a garbage mouth. I've done things. My life is so trashy. Oh, God, oh, God, is it really true that you save sinners? Is it really true that, that you love sinful men and women like me? I confess my sin. See, the way to the cross is low. The way to eternal life is low. It's low. It's the poor in spirit that are saved. Do you know what that means? You need to. You need to. Listen, the last truth here is that God cannot save those who refuse to see themselves as sinners and lost. Now, that's a mouthful. Whenever you say God cannot, have you ever thought about that? There's not too many things God cannot, right? God cannot. God will not save those who refuse to see themselves as sinners. Wow, what a surprising pick. Wow. They're not going to pick Matthew. The Bills, I hope, don't pick him in two weeks. We don't need him. We need a whole other. We need a big left tackle. We need all kinds of things. We need a whole new squad. Jesus said, wait a minute. I got an appointment here. Where there he is, Matthew. Follow me. What do we learn? What are some lessons for life when we be done? Number one, perhaps today you've never received Christ the Lord as your Savior. I don't... I don't know your heart. Today could be that day, you know. In quietness of your heart, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. In your heart of hearts, if God would open your heart and save you, that's what you need. That's more important than anything else. Have you done that? If I can help you, I'd be glad to do that. Pray with you, encourage you, counsel you from the Word. Number two, if you are a believer, be utterly amazed that God saved you. 
You know? Don't like say, well, that was a good choice. Uh, you may not be saved. You <laughs> Wait a minute. We've missed something here. Be utterly amazed, and I hope you never get over it, for we are all Matthews. The refuge. Be amazed. And even more so if God has saved you. And thankfully, God has paid the price of all our sin, even after we were saved. Think of the litany of things that you have done to displease the Lord after you were born again. Unbelievable. And the reality is, he could not love you more. Wow. Number three, be careful that you do not have a hard heart against certain people. Be careful on that. Red and yellow, black and white. Look, we're all of one blood, of one nation and nationality. Really. It narrowed down to eight on the boat. You're all from that. We're all sort of kissing cousins, sort of. Don't despise those who are down and out, the poor, the homeless, the sick. Those aren't as smart. So what? Or can't, or not able. Don't despise them. May God deliver you from hard hearts. I pray that you have a compassionate heart to reach out and to help and to be the hands and the feet and the eyes of Jesus. Number four, isolation from sinners in the world is not the call of a disciple. It's D.L. Moody, remember? I like that one better. One arm, you hold on to the cross. That's your salvation. Hold on tight. Actually, he holds on to you. And with the other hand, like Jude said, reach out and rescue the perishing. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. You can't do it from afar. I'll just stay way over here, and, and I'll just yell to them. They'll think you're a fruitcake. You're a nut. Who's that nut over there? you got to get close. You know, when I'm sick, the doctor, what's he do? He's got to get close. He's got to touch me. Let's, Zabolski, check that pulse. Hey, I can't find it. Oh, keep checking. You know? <laughs> they got to touch, right? And he puts a stethoscope. It's beating. All right, look in my eyes. Uh, what's the matter here? Follow my finger. You know, got to get close. Dr. Jesus got close. The Pharisees were like, no, <laughs> I might get dirty. Love the Lord with all your heart. Read the Word. The, Lord, the Word will sanctify you and guard you. And then reach out. That's what we're doing. Well, and some final practical things. Notice, what are you doing to reach out to sinners? Let me give you just a number of practical things. If you have a sheet of paper or on the outline, just turn around. Just give you these. You could do, there are so many things you could do, but I like to be real practical, and then we'll close. Number one, get involved in the life of a neighbor that everyone avoids. And we all have them, don't we? I hope that's not you, incidentally. I hope that you're, <laughs> you're not that neighbor. <laughs> but, you know, every neighborhood has one, Right? Get involved there. Get involved. That, did I tell you the story? Did I tell them? And I can't remember. There's a pastor uh, in Chicago area, and he gave the story about that. He had a neighbor who was always waving fingers at him, and it was very unpolite, very impolite. And it was just very. And he said, "You know, I, I, we didn't do anything." And my boys, you know, they're just very active. But this guy was just born in the objective case. 
And he said, like, we prayed for years and years, and, the, and it just nothing happened. The guy had a heart in school. Everybody despised him. And one day, I realized something to do. And I, he said, I had this piece of equipment in my garage, and I thought, like, the light turned on. I said, I think I'll go, let's call him Fred. I'll go next, I'll go next door and see if Fred wants this. I don't know, it was a snowblower or something, I can't remember. And he took it over, and he rang the doorbell, and Fred comes to the door, and, Fred, I was thinking that you, I got this equipment, I don't need it anymore. Do you want it? And he looked at him with great suspicion. Well, how much? No, I don't want anything for it. You, you, that's yours. And the guy said, really? And, and he kind of sheepishly took it, didn't say, really say thanks for it, and he said, you can't believe the ice began to melt. You see, that's smart. I think Jesus would say, that's shrewdness. That's wise. That's what we're saying. Get involved. Do something. Have a weenie roast with them, you know? Number two. Number two, a second practical thing. Spend time with, with the kid in school or on the playground or at the Y or the club or in the class that nobody likes. Nobody likes. Spend time with them. Draw them in. Be for the down and outers. Don't be for the plastic, everyone loves the beautiful people nonsense. That's crazy. See through that. And urge your kids to have a heart for that. I always love that when I see that in the life of my children and other adults. And they're always looking around to make sure everyone's included. And they learn that from Faithy, I'm sure. She was so good that way and raised that way. You know, who's on the outside that's sort of not? And draw them in. Who likes to be excluded? Nobody. Number three, another. Serve in a ministry to people who are down and out. There are all kinds of ministries around in our community. From, uh, we have closed distribution centers. Um, you know, we've got the mission over in the city and meals. Beth- I talk, I'm referring to Bethesda and all kinds of things that you can get involved with. In the hospital ministry, volunteer, help folks like that. You know, all these kind of things. Uh, I learned that in our family. My father-in-law retired. Was well, not well, but he, he drove the golf carts. People would park at the hospital, and he volunteered it to, from their car to the front door of the hospital. And he did it for a year and a half. Everybody in the car got a track. And there are, there are a lot of Jewish folks down there. And uh, Pop was so innocent in the way he did it. Most of them took it, and they you know, stuck it in their pocket. Uh, some of them read it, and some he followed up. And then one day he got reported. Oh, did he get chewed out. You can't do that anymore, Fred. He said, is that right? Well, I guess maybe there's no more work here for me. You know, if I can, that, that was my whole purpose. I want to share the, the love of Jesus to people that are going in to have surgery. You know, get involved. Number four, and four, invite people to church. Even those that you know, you know, we do this. Oh, I'm not going to ask them. They'll say no anyway. You know, we do that, right? You don't know until you ask them, and God just may have put it in their heart to say, what time is that? Maybe I'll show up. Uh, you know, so, so do that. I mean, you never know. You never Number five, don't avoid difficult people. Seek them out for relationships that might lead to their salvation. Reach, the, reach out to the difficult ones. There was a, there was a, a man in, in my childhood that I, I remember so, so very well. Claire Heitzen writer. He was the most foul, wicked guy at Duras Foundry. 
second shift. I mean, he could cuss a storm and tell stories, curl your hair. My hair was curly. And uh, guys, you know what? They witnessed to him. They shared the love of Christ to him. And God, through some dramatic things, uh, brought him to Christ. You can't believe the eloquence of that man and how God used him the latter part of his life. You can't believe it. And you would have said, he's the last guy. We look around at the beautiful people, right? The heroes. The, the, oh, if God would just save them, when do you? No. Yes, all. But don't discount the difficult. Number six and last, and we'll be done. Uh, and identify sinners in your life. This is important. Sinners, meaning, look, we're all sinners, but sin, sinners that are lost, that don't know Jesus. That's what I mean. In your life that need to know Christ, just make a list, two or three. Keep it in your Bible. Pray about them. Think about them. I do that. I gave a, I gave a little book to one on heaven. I don't think he's going to live very long. He's a retired doctor this week. And because he likes me, he does. We have wonderful conversation. He took it, but he gave me one of these looks like, I'll take it, but I really don't want it, you know. But because you're giving it to me, uh, maybe I'll read it. And I'm really burdened for him because I don't think he's going to live that long, you know. He's one of the ones I pray for every day. Do you have a list of people around you? God has placed you strategically. He didn't say, like, well, I didn't know, I didn't know that Tex lived there. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that Rob is there or works there. Gonna have, no, look at your life, where you live, and all the people God surrounds as God's appointments. They're, they're appointments. You run your schedule, and God sometimes has interruptions. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Make a list. Identify them. Pray for them. You'll find your heart growing warmly towards them. You will. You can't stay. It's very hard to be mad at people when you pray for them every day. It's one of the great things. You know, if you're, if you're having trouble with a father or mother, stepdad or ex-wife or, or son, a neighbor or something, you just pray every day. And you guess what? God is going to change your heart. You're going to have the love of Christ for them, and Christ's love will flow through them, and you're not going to be wanting to grab them by the throat. It's true. I know it works. It works in my life, and it's going to work in your life too. Wow. Well, enough with Matthew. What a surprising choice. But must the Lord say that about us? He looks down, he searches your heart, he says, man, what a crew. <laughs> Look at them. <laughs> there are a lot of Matthews here. Amen. 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 Amen.